Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday's sermon was given by Senior Pastor, Rev. Dr. Ray Hilton. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Our scripture reading today is from the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 11, verses 1 through 6, and verses 17 through 24. Please join in a prayer for illumination. God, we thank you for the insight you give us through your words in the Bible. Speak to us again today as we read together the words that you gave through Paul the Apostle. Encourage us in our strange times and inspire us to please you more. Amen. I ask, has God rejected his people? By no means. I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars. I alone am left and they are seeking my life. But what is the divine reply? God says, I have kept for myself 7,000 who have not yet bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. But if some of the branches were broken off and you, a wild olive shoot, were grafted in their place to share the rich root of the olive tree, do not boast over the branches. If you do boast, remember that it is not you that support the root, but the root that supports you. You will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand only through faith. So do not become proud, but stand in awe. For if God did not spare the natural branches, perhaps he will not spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God, severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness toward you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And even those of Israel, if they do not persist in unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if, for if you have been cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature, into a cultivated olive tree, how much more 
will these natural branches be grafted back into their own olive tree? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, family of God. It's great to be with you on this glorious Sunday morning. You know, whenever I read the Bible, I try, and I want you to underscore the word try, I try to approach my time in Scripture with a spirit of humility. I read the Bible expecting that God will offer up to my darkened mind light and revelation about the character and the nature of God. That is not a given. And so I have to bring that kind of expectation that God will show me something about the nature and the character of God. And Romans 11 does not disappoint. And so I want to encourage you that when you read Scripture, start with God. It is so tempting, isn't it, for us to start with our needs. So we open up the Bible wanting to get something for us. But I want to encourage you, start from above. Start with God. Ask the questions. As you read, what do these scriptures tell us about the nature and the heart and the character of God? What do these scriptures tell us about God's plan? What do these scriptures tell us about the human condition? And then another important question to ask as you read the Bible is, how do these scriptures instruct us in the things we are to do or not do? And in order for us to find these answers as we read scripture, we must depend on the Holy Spirit and we must practice what I call slow reading. Don't be in a hurry. Take your time. Dwell in the Word, abide in the Scriptures, abide in God's Word, and say, as you're reading the Bible, and even before you read the Bible, and after you read the Scriptures, say, God, here I am. Speak to me. Speak to us. Show us the Father. Show us the ways of Jesus. Teach us about the Holy Spirit. And I'm telling you, friends, when you come with that expectancy, that humility, God will reveal God's heart to you and you will begin then to grow in your love and your devotion to God. Try it and you'll see. And that's what I find in Romans 11. Romans 11 does not disappoint. And so in today's reading, as I read these words, slow reading, I encountered God I encountered the grace of God, I encountered the wisdom of God, and I encountered the knowledge of God, and I hope you will have that same encounter of God as you read Romans 11. And that's really what I want to talk to you about this morning. In chapters 9, 10, and 11, as we've been pointing out, Paul's Jewish contemporaries, for many reasons, did not believe that Jesus of Nazareth was Israel's Messiah. And in chapters 9, 10, and 11, Paul begins to explore this in a very deliberate way, trying to understand why and what the solutions are. And in seeking answers to his questions about the spiritual plight of his people, Paul helps us, the readers, see aspects of God's character. And that's what I want to explore with you. I want you this morning to revel in the character of God from this chapter. 
First, let's revel in the riches of God's grace. And to get us started, I want us to begin where we stopped last week. The last verse of Romans chapter 10 and verse 21 ends this way, but of Israel, God says, and Paul is quoting from Isaiah, but of Israel, God says, all day long, I've held out my hands to a disobedient and a contrary people. And if we walked away from the ending of Romans chapter 10 with nothing more to say, we might then say that God has now forgotten his people. When you read the very next chapter and the very next verse, the very next sentence, you look at chapter 11 and verse 1, Paul then says, I ask then, this is the logical question to ask in light of Romans 10, 21, has God rejected his people? Paul says, by no means. I am an Israelite. I am a descendant of Abram. I am a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God, he says in verse 2, has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. In fact, according to verse 6, Paul says, there is a remnant chosen by grace. So what Paul is saying is, look at me, I'm a Jew. I am living proof that God has not rejected his people. Because if God has not rejected me, and I don't deserve God's grace, I don't deserve God's acceptance, I was a blasphemer, I was a persecutor. Because of my actions, people died. Because of my actions, people were thrown into prison. With all of my strength, at one time in my life, Paul said, I contended against God. I contended against God, God's people. But because of the inexhaustible riches of God's grace, to a sinner like me, Paul says, God showed me grace and mercy. And if God is doing that to me and I don't deserve it, assuredly, God is going to do that to his people. And that's the good news, isn't it? Good news, even for us Gentiles, as we think about our loved ones who are yet to believe. God's grace is mighty, and that's what I want you to hear this morning. God's grace never gives up. And when you're praying for your children and you're praying for your loved ones and you're praying for people and your family members and it just seems like the night is getting darker and the days are getting longer and you don't see any change, Paul is saying to us, remember that God is working even when we can't see him working. God's hand is still stretched out even when we can't see signs of that. The grace of God will prevail. He asks a second question. So I ask, have they stumbled so as to fall? And Paul says, by no means. But through their stumbling, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. In other words, do not for a moment believe that God has replaced Israel with the church. They may have fallen, but they're not out. They may have stumbled, but God through his grace, will raise them up again. And through the grace of God, through Israel's stumbling, Paul says, salvation has come to the Jews so as to make, to, to the Gentiles, so as to make Israel jealous. Now, I love this. Now, if their stumbling means riches to the world, and if their defeat means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? He's talking about Israel. This is, this is remarkable. This is what we call revelation. The Gentiles could only have believed 
because Paul's people rejected the Messiah, but somehow, in the grace of God, Paul says they're going to be stirred up again to believe when they see the Old Testament promises of God being fulfilled in the Gentiles. And so right now in my own journey, I'm reading through the book of Acts and several places in the, in, in the book of Acts, Luke shows that when Paul's people rejected the message that Paul was giving, that their rejection opened a door for others to hear. For example, Acts 13 and verse 46, God's doing a mighty work in Antioch. And during his first missionary journey in Pisidian Antioch, Paul and Barnabas said to the Jews, we had to speak the word of God to you first. Since you reject it, since you do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, Paul says, now we turn to the Gentiles. And that's what Paul's talking about. The rejection of the Jews opened up the door so that Gentiles could hear the gospel. And then Jesus, and I've always read these words, and now it makes even more sense to me. Jesus says in Matthew 8 and 11, and he's talking to the religious leaders. He says, I tell you, many will come from east and from west and will eat with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of God. Who is Jesus referring to? He's referring to those people, those foreigners, those outsiders, those Gentiles who, for whom the door to God's kingdom will be opened because of the temporary rejection of the Jews toward Jesus. So I don't want you to miss this. God promised that through Abram, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And so the blessing ricochets from Israel to the Gentiles. That's really what's going on here. It ricochets from Israel to the Gentiles. I'm going to say more about that as we get toward the end. But I also want you to see that these verses call us to revel in the wisdom of God. We saw the riches of God's grace. Let us now consider the wisdom of God. Look at verse 15. For if their rejection, he's talking about Israel's rejection, is the reconciliation of the world, and that world, that word world there implies the nations, what will be their acceptance but life from the dead? Life from the dead. Life from the dead for who? Life from the dead for Jews, for Gentiles. Now, I think this is a beautiful and hopeful word. Life from the dead for the Gentile people. And to capture the beauty of this vision, I had to go back in my Old Testament reading of the book of Ezekiel 37. And many of you have read this chapter before, and if you haven't read it, you've heard that old spiritual that talks about them bones, them bones, them dry bones. Now hear the word of the Lord. The neck bone, the ankle bone, all these bones being reconnected, it comes right out of Ezekiel 37 where the Spirit of God lifts Ezekiel up somehow and takes him to this valley of dry bones. And he sees in this vision this valley filled with bones and the dry scattered bones, as you read later on in Ezekiel 37, is supposed to represent Israel's exile. And to the human eye, when you look at this valley filled with dry bones, it looks hopeless. You would say in your mind, this game is over. It's time to move on. And the Lord even looked at Ezekiel and said to him, son of man, can these bones live? And Ezekiel looks at the valley of dry bones and he shrugs his shoulders and he said, Lord, I don't know, only you know. 
And the Lord told Ezekiel to speak my words to these bones and they will live. And the prophet spoke God's word to the dry bones and the dry bones. He said, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. And, and the Lord caused life and the Lord caused breath to enter into these bones. And the Lord caused skin to come over these bones. And the, and the bones reconnected one to the other. And we read at the very end that they rose up. And they stood on their feet as a vast multitude. And it is possible, it is possible that this is what Paul is referring to, that the rejection of God's covenant people was neither total, it wasn't final. And that is the theme of Romans 11. And I think Paul was looking back on Ezekiel 37, that there is still a remnant that is present. There is going to be an Israelite recovery in the future. And it will lead for blessing for the whole world. And it will be life from the dead for those who are Gentiles. And one might have expected that since they have rejected God, that God has rejected them. But this is not so. They're not the abandoned nation that they seem. Their rejection is only partial. A believing remnant will remain. The wisdom of God in doing that. And I want you now to revel with me in the knowledge of God. God's grace will never quit. We see the wisdom of God in using Israel stumbling as a pathway to the Gentiles coming to Christ. Now let's just look very briefly at the knowledge of God. Because when I think about the knowledge of God, immediately I said to myself, God is never stumped. We were in a session meeting on Tuesday night. And we we're talking about the reopening of our church. And there are so many details. And we're so limited in our knowledge that there were parts in the meeting where we were stumped. We were trying to figure out what goes first, what goes second, what goes third. How do we move forward? Well, I'm here to tell you that in the economy of God, in the kingdom of God, God is never stumped. God is not like us. God is never confused. God knows the future as he does the past. From everlasting to everlasting, the psalmist says, you are God. And you know what I did? I went back to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, where Paul gives us this insight into the knowledge of God. He says that in former generations, this mystery that we're talking about was not made known to humankind as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and his prophets by the Spirit. And you say, what is the mystery? And Paul answers it in verse 6, that the Gentiles have become fellow heirs, members of the same body, and sharers in the promise of Jesus Christ through the gospel. And you say, well, how did, Paul, how did God do it? And if you read on in Romans 11, Paul introduces the metaphor of the olive tree to show that the movement we call Christianity, and brothers and sisters, if there's anything I want you to know, I want you to hold on to this that this movement that we call Christianity, or if you don't like the word Christianity, talk about being followers of Jesus. Talk about being Jesus followers or disciples. We owe our existence to the Jewish people. And sometimes we forget that. And isn't it sad when you think of the history of anti-Semitism that much of that history, dating all the way back to the Spanish Inquisition through, through Luther, through the... Through the all that was done to the Jewish people in, 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 in Germany, all of that, Christians were involved in it. How blinded we are in failing to understand that these Jewish men and women are really our forebears in the faith. We owe our existence to them. Jesus himself was Jewish. 
And so here's how he explains it, why we owe our existence to them. He says, some branches have been cut out of the cultivated tree. Now, the, the, the analogy of the olive tree to refer to Israel as the olive tree, it's interesting. When John the Baptist came preaching, he said, friends, behold, the axe is laid at the tree and some branches are going to be cut off. Paul's nation, by rejecting Jesus, some of them are going to be cut off. And Paul says, in their place, a wild shoot has been grafted in. That is, some Gentiles have believed and have welcomed and have reached out to God. And God took these Gentile people who really didn't belong and God grafted them into that olive plant. And they've become part of God's covenant people. That's the promise God made to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. And so Paul is warning the Gentiles, don't boast. Do not become arrogant. And you know, I think what Paul is describing here is a propensity that all of us have as religious people to develop this kind of arrogance and this pride about ourselves, that we're Presbyterians and we have such such intellect and we have such money as a Presbyterian church and we have such a long history in the United States of America. And Paul is saying, don't become proud because if you stop believing, God is not, the, God is not partial to any group. God will cut off the Presbyterians in America and cause another group to rise up that is seeking after God. Don't become proud Paul says to the Gentiles, don't become arrogant. You are part of the covenant because of God's kindness. You do not support the root. Think about that. The root supports you. Do not become proud, but stand in awe. Literally, that word, phobia, means fear. Stand in fear of what God has done. And you see that in verse 20. And that's how we should be. Every time we gather, we should be the most humble people on the planet. We should say, God, we are amazed. We stand amazed in your presence and wonder how you would call us to be your very own. And every person we meet, whether they be Jew or Gentile or Buddhist or, or Shinto or Confucian, every person we meet, we should meet them with an with a air of humility, with an attitude of humility. Be humble. Be humble. And maybe, maybe he was reacting to the anti-Semitic treatment of Jews in Rome. Sometimes we forget that this anti-Semitism I was thinking to myself this week, goes all the way back, all the way back when Baal called Balaam to say, you see those Jewish people out there in the desert? I want you to curse them. It goes all the way back to the book of Esther when Haman had this hatred toward Mordecai and he influenced that ruler to make a decree against all the Jewish people that they would be wiped out. And even here, it's happening in Rome. And I went back to Acts chapter 18 and verse 2 and I read how Emperor Claudius, for some reason, ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. In fact, that's how Paul met. That's how Paul met some of his best friends who joined him in that ministry, in traveling and sharing the gospel. He ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. He wants the Gentile Christians in Rome to stand in awe of God's plan 
for Jews and Gentiles. He wants us to be gracious. He wants us to be kind to our Jewish brothers and sisters because we're here because of them. We're here because of people like the Moses and the Abrahams and the Jacob and Isaac and King David and the prophets. We're here because of the Sarahs. We're here because of the Esthers, men and women who stood faithfully and followed after God. And God made a way for people like you and me to believe. So we have no basis for pride. We have no basis for anti-Semitism. We were grafted into that existing olive tree. We're here today following Jesus Messiah because of faithful Jews. And what we must then do is pray for our brothers and sisters that their eyes will be opened and they will recognize Jesus as their Messiah. And so let the grace of God, let the wisdom of God, let the knowledge of God remind you that God has a plan for the salvation of his people. And we don't know, we don't know when this will happen, but God promises, and we can't go through all of what we read this morning, God, but God promises that all of Israel will be saved. We don't know when God will do it, but we do know how it will happen. It will happen through the spreading of the gospel of the good news of the Messiah. And as we continue to bear witness to the gospel of the Messiah, as we continue to live with grateful hearts before God, it's quite likely that God will use us to provoke desire within his people all over the world to come home to the Messiah. And so I want to end my talk here with two questions. Here is question number one. And this goes right back to everything that we just said. Are there people that you think are beyond God's reach? I think that's part of what Paul's telling us, that no one is beyond God's reach. Are there people that you think that are beyond God's reach, that God has given up on them? And so my question to you then is, how do you think Romans 11 might destroy that kind of despair toward other people? We have a tendency to give up on people. And God is telling us through Romans 11, because of his grace and his wisdom and his knowledge, he's not ready to give up on people yet. And here's the second question, and this is a tough one to hear, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Could someone looking at your life clearly see and so come to envy the benefits of God's grace displayed in you, displayed in your life? When people look at you, when people look at us, me, do they see God's benefits being displayed? What do people see when they see us? I pray, I really pray that when people see us, they will see that our lives really becomes this letter that can be read and can display the goodness and the love and the grace and the justice and the mercy and the knowledge of God. We thank God for our Jewish brothers and sisters. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people say, Amen.